open it to Proverbs 25, verse 11. There's an outline of the sermon provided for you in the bulletin. It'll help you to follow along, no doubt, because there's a whole lot of individual verses in this particular sermon. Only stand for the reading of God's word. It's one verse, so you won't have to stand long. Give a chance to stretch here for a second. This is the word of the Lord, beloved. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. What do we use at Wallace probably more than anything else? Words. We all use them. We're human. We need to speak. We use words all of the time, and we use a lot of them. And you probably were taught growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you know... That's not true. I have hurt other people with my words. I have been deeply wounded with the words of other people. And that's why the Bible has an awful lot to say to us about the way we talk. Particularly the book of Proverbs, which is wisdom literature. Because knowing what to say, to whom, how, And when is very often a wisdom issue. So here's the question this morning. What does it look like when words come out of a humble, grace-filled heart? This is our series on humility. What does humble speech look like? Well, it looks like apples of gold in settings of silver. What a stunning metaphor. God is saying to you, I want you to compare something as beautiful as an ornate sculpture, apples of gold and settings of silver. I want you to compare that to your words. So there's a sense in which a beautiful piece of art bespeaks beauty, dignity, it, it, it evokes awe, pleasure, satisfaction. The same should be true of our words. So I want to work this comparison. If you have an ornate sculpture before you, it's obvious that the artisan had motives. He used methods and goals to bring that about. The same is true for our words. So let's use those three categories to look at how Scripture encourages us and helps us and gives us a vision for words that come out of a humble heart. The first, motives. Most artisans have a reason for what they're creating. Maybe it's to imitate nature. Maybe it's to make a statement or just create something beautiful. Paint a portrait of a loved one. There's a reason they do what they do. And the same is true for our words. There's reasons we speak the way we do. Here's the way Jesus encourages you. Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks out of that which 
fills the heart. In other words, what you and I say has a lot more to do with what's in here than what's going on outside of us. And if you parse your motives pretty simplistically, you, you basically come to two primary motives for why you say what you say. You speak for your own glory or you speak for other people's glory. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If my heart is full of pride, and it is naturally, so I'm not, if I'm not seeking to be under the control of the Spirit of Christ and asking Him to produce humility in, in me, it's almost for certain that my words will be about my own glory rather than motivated to bring glory to other people. And of course, the stronger my interest in my own glory, the more charged the words. So we have to come to grips with how powerful our words are. Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Wow! When you're reading in Proverbs and you come to that verse, you go, how is that true for me? A worthless man digs up evil. His words are a scorching fire. The power of words to consume things. You wonder if the brother of Jesus, James had seen that verse earlier in the day in his devotions when he wrote in James 3, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. It is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Oh my goodness, that is... That is really serious stuff. You and I have to be asking the question, what, are the, what is the effect of my words on other people? If I've left a conversation, I've left a room, I've left a meeting, I've left spending time with my kids, my wife, my friends, my roommates, what, what if anything, has been scorched in my absence? What did my words burn up? That's the question I'm called to wrestle with. If you, if you look at Proverbs alone, you see that there's basically two motives for how we use our words, some good, some bad. Let me go over some of the bad motives. One is speaking just to be heard. Proverbs 18.2, the fool only delights in revealing his own mind. Now, this has described me more times than I can tell you. It's the times when I feel I need to give a running commentary on everything going on around me. I think that's what that verse is talking about. Or, I feel like my opinion is so important, I am bound to insert it into every single conversation that I'm, that I'm in. The fool only delights in revealing his own mind. I'm not interested in what you have to say. I might not be interested in the truth. I just want you to know what I think. As I parse where this is a really hard sermon because I am so incredibly guilty in the use of my words. If ever I needed Jesus, it was in, in this area of my life. 
I look at the, 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 the two extreme situations with the use of words, and that is times I'm tempted to speak too little and times I'm tempted to speak too much. Again, what's my motive? What would motivate me not to speak in a certain situation? Well, the fear of being condemned or judged by my words that keeps me from speaking maybe when I should. What would be motivating me when I'm saying more than I should be saying? Maybe that I think my significance depends on the things that I say. Either way, think about it. Times when you you should be talking that you're not, times when you're talking that you shouldn't be, what's going on in your heart there's perhaps a lack in my heart that is moving me to get what I think my heart needs from the use of my words. And that tells me that my heart is not satisfied with the love of God alone. And it shows up in either speaking too much or too little. So allow the quality, the content, the quantity of your speech to be a barometer Is my heart really resting in Jesus, satisfied with the love of God? It will show up in how you speak. Second motive, to flatter. A lot of verses on flattery in Proverbs. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Whose feet? His own or his neighbor's? Think about that. A flattering mouth works ruin. For whom? The one flattered or one flattering? Think about it. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he flatters with his tongue. Again, what's going on in my heart that leads me to flatter? And, you know, speaking encouraging words is one thing, but doing so with the express purpose of getting people to like you is when it becomes flattery. So what's going on in my heart when I flatter people? Well, flattery ultimately isn't about the other person. It's about me trying to get something from them. That is, I flatter to say nice things so they'll like me. And if they like me, I'll feel more secure about who I am. See, saying those things has nothing really to do with them. It's all about my insufficiency, my insecurity, my lack, my unbelief that I have enough in my heart and the love of God that I'm trying to get from other people. Think about your motives. A third area is gossip. We're not going to talk about it in this sermon. Hopefully we'll return to it in the new year. And another area that I know nothing about is criticizing. Huh. Critical spirit, judgmental, it just, it comes so easily out of my mouth. It's just stunning how frail and guilty and weak I am in this. So let's, let's do the work. Let's do the diagnosis. What is going on in my heart that I need to be critical? Let's suppose in a situation somebody objectively has done wrong. We don't have to deny that. They've objectively done wrong. Stupid, goofed up, whatever. Maybe they've objectively hurt me. Okay, how am I going to respond to that? I can put them down or I can pray. I can criticize and put them down and judge them, or you have a choice. I can pray. Someone has objectively messed up. Why not say this? Lord Jesus, the only reason I haven't done worse than that person is your grace in my life. Do you believe that? 
The only reason I'm better than that person is your mercy and grace in my life. So Lord Jesus, give them the grace that they lack. Lord Jesus, considering all the mercy you've given me, I should be far better than I am. <laughs> Lord Jesus, given the grace that they lack, they should be a lot better than I would be with that same grace. So rather than put down, pray. Think about the grace Jesus has lavished on you. Paul instructs us in no uncertain terms in Titus chapter 3 to malign no one. I think we feel justified. I think we feel like we have a right when we're good in one area of life and other people have failed. Well, I would never do that. I'd never tweet this. I'd never think that way. And maybe you're right. You're, you're much better than that person. That day. I think we feel justified maligning them. Malign no one. Be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. The reason it's so important ultimately is because God, who's a God who speaks, God wants mirrored on this earth the quality, the beauty, the glory of his words in our words. That's God's passion. He wants to be glorified in our words, and he has every right to deserve that. And so think about how these phrases describe the speaking ministry of Jesus. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. There were people in Jesus' ministry who when he spoke, it was like, oh, so sweet to their soul is the word of God. Like we read that beautiful description of the word of God in Psalm 19 earlier. The word of God is a honeycomb. Is it that for your soul? The more that it is, the more your words will be in conformity to it. There's gold and abundance of jewels, but the lips of the righteous are a more precious thing. That's the speaking ministry of Jesus. Those are some bad motives. There are a lot of good motives given in Scripture. And let me just mention one, and that is to encourage or to build up or to heal. I've got three verses there for you from Proverbs. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The lips of the righteous feed many. Anxiety in the heart wears it down, but a good word makes it glad. Look at the power of speech to heal, to feed, to make glad. You've experienced this. You've been on the receiving end and on the giving end of these things. Bless the Lord, the power. And all these verses assume, they presuppose that you love the person you're speaking to, that you're listening to them, you're learning what they need, and you're landing your words strategically in their area of need. Is it healing? Is it anxiety? Is it they need to be fed by your words? Glory, glory, good motives. Let's move on to the artisan's methods. What we're doing is we're comparing our words to apples and gold in settings of silver. And the artisan has motives for uh, producing what he produces, he or she. And then the, an artisan uses certain methods to bring that piece of art to pass. They plan. They, they, so this is what my wife is doing right now. Since she retired from teaching, she's taken up art as a hobby. I've nicknamed her Jan Go. So, Jan Go, that's my dear wife. And so right now, up in our, up in our, our, our room in our house in Virginia, there's, a, there's a, a blank thing, whatever you call it. What do you, something you paint on, I don't know. 
And, and she's got a picture of the ocean that she's going to paint, and she's already divided up into squares. See, so she's planning. She's scheming. She's thinking carefully and intricately about the final product. And so, Scripture says, think about the way you say what you say. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Now, we have all watched enough sitcoms to know that our culture values the quick answer, the quick wit, the tit for tat, right? All of the sitcoms do this. You say this, and the writers have craft, crafted a clever, witty, put down, or something that comes back just as fast as possible. Anti-biblical. The righteous ponders how to answer. Question. Think. Give people time to ponder. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Do you see what the verse is saying? Saying, quiet, mind, instruct heart. Heart, instruct lips. It takes discipline. Let me give you a personal example of how powerful the Word of God was in my life in one situation. When I pastored in Virginia, I had to drive through this neighborhood to pick up the church bulletin because the person who printed it did it at their house. You know, this Saturday afternoon, I'm always hurrying in and out, scurrying as fast as I can, getting back to what, what I want to be doing. So this one day, I parked, went up to the door, got the bulletin, and there's a car on the street, obviously waiting for me. I'm thinking, this guy needs directions or something. And I walk up, and he puts the window down, and he says, do you live in this neighborhood? And I said, no, thinking, well, I'll give him directions. He said, I know you don't, because I watch you. You drive in and out of here every Saturday. You roll through the stop signs. You don't have regard for pedestrians, and our children are at risk. Yeah, he wanted a fight. And you know when your pride begins to well up in you and you want to defend yourself? You know that feeling? Come on. So here we go. Pride starting to defend myself, and the Holy Spirit is going, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I'm like, not this time, Lord, no, no. <laughs> I want to fight. I want to defend myself. I want to deny that it's not bad. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is saying, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I said, you're right. I'm wrong. And then he immediately backed down, and I go, no, no, you're right. I'm putting kids' lives at risk. I'm sorry, I'll do better. And he was happy and drove off. I don't tell you that to make me look good. It's the Holy Spirit bringing the Word of God to my mind, superseding the natural, innate, instinctive, proud impulse of my heart to defend myself. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Man, that's a better way to live than going at it with people. So that's why Proverbs says you need to know when to stop an argument. Proverbs 17, 14. Abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. That means you have enough sensitivity to seeing this discussion, it's really spiraling down. Heated words, more emotions, hostility in the facial expression. Okay, 
Abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Or Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Now in Proverbs, there's no hope for fools. Fools is the worst thing you could be called, a fool. And yet a man hasty in his words is worse than a fool. Could that be me, Lord? When is that me, Lord? Lord, Lord, help me. Oh my goodness. Proverbs 20, 18. There's one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the righteous brings healing. I've known, I've known people like that. When they speak, it's like things are being cut. So, beloved, if you feel like you've drawn a sword and you're beginning to talk, sheathe it and bite your tongue. Finally, goals. Here's our comparison. Apples of gold in settings of silver. The artisan has motives for producing that, certain methods to produce that, and finally, goals. Same for our speech. There's a lot of goals we could list. We know that no artisan sets out to make something mediocre, right? Beethoven, I'm going to produce a mediocre symphony this time. Rembrandt, I'm going to produce a mediocre painting this time. No, they set out to produce something glorious. It should be that way with our words. And let me just give you one goal to ponder as we close. Words that bring life. Words that bring life. Two verses that speak of this. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Again, that means you've been in a conversation. Your kids, your parents, your friends, your roommates, church friends, whatever. You've been in a conversation. You've left the conversation. The question to ask myself is, what have I left behind? Life. In other words, there's goodness, there's beauty, there's wisdom, there's truth, there's health, there's well-being, there's goodness, there's peace, there's blessedness, there's growth. Did I say righteousness? All the things that make up life. Your mouth has the power to bring that to pass in God's economy. Stunning. But here's the problem, at least for me. You can't give away what you don't have, and I don't have that kind of life naturally residing in the wellspring of my heart. So I can't produce that on my own. <laughs> I mean, who among us hasn't complained, criticized, maligned, shaded the truth, spoken when, un- spoken when not necessary, spoken not spoken when necessary, too hastily, too ignorantly, etc. We're all... And we're all out of sorts here. <laughs> and so the challenge of speaking words of life is that I need a new wellspring out of which those words can come. There was one man, one man who fulfilled this verse, Jesus Christ. For 33 years, he used as many words, perhaps more as a teacher, than the average person uses. 33 years, Jesus spoke words. Countless words. Not one of them, not one for one moment was sinful. Every single word out of the mouth of Jesus was a word out of the mouth of the heart of God. It was pure. It was righteous. It was perfectly godly. Every one of Jesus' words. If there was ever a truth about Jesus, 
The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And that means, beloved, he has two gifts for you. One is he has a record of perfect speaking, which I know I need. Remember that verse that Jesus says on, on the day of judgment, you'll be judged for every careless word you speak? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm toast. Really? Jesus spoke the very perfect record of words that I need without which I'll never see God. He spoke it, and he'll take all of my wretched, sinful words from me. What a gift. Jesus, give it to me. And he has the power to create in you a new well from which words of life can come. How does he do that? Well, think back on Proverbs 18.21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Let's apply that to the ministry of Jesus. Thinking of Jesus, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Was life in the power of the tongue of Jesus? Absolutely. He saw somebody that was sick. He spoke. Boom, it was healed. He came upon the dead. He spoke. Boom, they came to life. People needed bread. He spoke. There was bread. The wind was threatening his disciples. He told the wind to be quiet. The power of life in the lips of Jesus Christ, irresistible. Everything he spoke over had to do what his word called it to do. It was performative irresistibly. Jesus had in his mouth the power of life. What about the power of death? Well, one day Jesus is going to say one word to the devil and all his minions. Go, and they will go into the eternal fire of hell. The power of Jesus' word. One little word will fell him, wrote Martin Luther. The power of death. And he actually has that power over me. If Jesus looks, forget about all the stuff in my life that I've sinned and not done that I was supposed to do. If Jesus just pulled out the record of my words and looked at me, one word, guilty. He could condemn me. It's so easy to condemn me. I have Failed. If, I think of this room here, if every, every sinful word I've spoken was a BB, this room would be filled, them, filled with them. Maybe, as far as I know, filled to overflowing. Jesus had the word of life and the word of death in his mouth. And yet, what did he speak on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We deserve the word of death. He spoke the word of life. He was that pure fountain that said, Father, put their sins in me. He became that polluted, impure, filthy fountain on the cross, bearing your sins in his body. And his Father condemned him and all of our sinful words in his body on the cross. On the strength of that, Jesus can say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The word of life. Do you see the irony? In Jesus' words, he pronounced death to himself to speak life over you. Our words kill others. His word killed himself. Has he spoken the word of grace over you? Have you stood before a holy God? Have you stood before the cross of Jesus and said, you need to speak the promise of forgiveness. You need to speak the promise of reconciliation. You need to speak the promise of cleansing over me. Has he done it, beloved? You must receive that promise. Receive it by faith. Tell Jesus, speak it over me. I am lost and helpless and condemned without it. And he will. Just very quickly, how do you know he's done that? How do you know you believed it? How do you know you've accepted 
Complete forgiveness for every careless word and everything else in your life. How do you know? You're, you're, you're benefiting from Jesus saying, death to me, life to my accusers. You know by the evidence that you want your words to comport with Jesus' words. You want to speak more like Jesus is speaking. There's gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of the righteous are more precious thing. You view your words as precious. You want them to bring riches to other people. You want them to be that honeycomb that the very words of Jesus are. And because he has lavished his grace upon you, Lord, you, you, his, the Lord's grace upon you, it is a privilege and a pleasure to see that gracious words come to other people. Paul wrote, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Have you heard the word of his grace? You can now speak that grace to other people powerfully, like honey, building them up, healing them, making their hearts glad. Let's pray. Lord, if ever I knew my need of the gospel and the cleansing blood of Jesus, it is with my speech. You show me by my words that my heart is filthy, selfish, proud, defensive, unbelieving, scornful, critical, condemning. Oh my, what wretchedness there. My hope is in the blood of Jesus. Our hope is in the cross of Jesus. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus for rescuing sinners like me from the guilt and death of my words. Thank you that you said, death to me, life to my accusers. I'm your accuser. Bring life to my soul, to the souls of my brothers and sisters. That we might enjoy the privilege and beauty and glory of speaking edifying words to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.